Welcome back my friend, it's ADHD Powerful Possibilities and it's ADHD Coach Catherine here. This week we are looking at ADHD myths. Why are there so many bits of misinformation around? How can you tell if somebody is giving you correct information? How can you assess if a bit of information is actually reliable or not? Thank you so much for all your questions, your emails. I absolutely love it and they are going to be part of future episodes. It really makes a difference because I'm on my own working here, but knowing that it makes a difference for you means that I am so happy to keep going with this. And this week we're going to look at the myths that are circulating around ADHD. Some of you will have seen recent footage from a council meeting in England where let's assume people with not very much information asked if the increasing rates of young people and children with additional support needs was down to something in the water or if actually ADHD was just because a parent wasn't doing their job right. Yes, he actually said little Willie is actually just badly behaved. It's not that he has ADHD but mum gets a diagnosis of ADHD and suddenly she's off the hook. There are Facebook groups apparently with parents swapping tips on how to get their children diagnosed. I have to say this is the most offensive nonsense I've heard for quite a while in a sea of offensive myths and nonsense about ADHD. So well done those counsellors for prompting me to make this episode today. It is both wonderful and terrifying how huge platforms like TikTok and Instagram are focusing on ADHD. On the one hand, lots of people are recognising that their challenges are not a personal weakness or a flaw and are connected to autism, ADHD, other challenges that we have like them. On the other hand, there is so much misinformation and something like 50 plus percent of TikTok videos about ADHD are actually wrong. They're giving you information that is misleading and potentially harmful. And the problem is, those are the ones that tend to spread and are very popular. How can we help people assess information and understand that incorrect information has an impact on your emotional life, which also has an impact on your ADHD and how you function from a day-to-day basis? I've heard lots of myths at one time or another and the worst ones generally have a few facts sprinkled in or just enough truth to sound credible. There are whole podcasts where a myth about ADHD has become the focus of that episode and it becomes really difficult as a coach, as somebody who cares passionately about facts and accurate information to deal with this on a daily basis. And then somebody said, well, how do I know the difference? Here I am. I'm going to help you work out what's true, what's not true and how to pick out the good bits from the bad. So let's look at a really big popular myth and explain why it's so popular and why these things tend to pick up speed. The first one we're going to look at is that a ketogenic diet, which is one where carbohydrate is under 20% of your overall diet and is very high in fat, can somehow cure ADHD. It's connected to this broader brain metabolism model And unfortunately, I've heard some people link ADHD to conditions like dyslexia, dementia, 
And this idea that if you eat a very high-fat, low-carb diet, you can cure these things, you can cure dyslexia. The fact is, there is no substantial evidence to prove this. Although your diet is really important in ADHD, and it can have an impact on our thinking, our level of energy, all these things, there is no single study that shows without any debate that a ketogenic diet will reduce or get rid of ADHD. Why? Because for many people, if not 85 plus percent of people, ADHD is a genetic neurodevelopmental condition. Yes, some people may have ADHD-like traits. They may have them after things like lip poisoning. There are other types of medication or conditions that look like ADHD. But that's why it's a job for a really qualified psychiatrist to do an assessment. The studies that people are using to say a ketogenic diet can cure ADHD have been done on rats and mice, not humans. And although we've got anecdotal evidence from individuals that they have changed their diet and their ADHD traits have reduced, they've maybe felt more focused, they've had more energy, they're better able to manage things like planning their executive functions. We can't take that as clinical evidence. And it's definitely not something that we should be claiming as a cure because there is a significant crossover between ADHD and disordered eating if not outright clinical eating disorders. The rates of anorexia, bulimia, binge eating disorder and ARFID are much, much higher in teenage girls with ADHD and also in the autistic population than in the neurotypical group of the same age. And if you suggest that one particular diet is a cure for ADHD, what is the impact going to be on this vulnerable group of people. We know that rates of obesity in adults with ADHD are higher, but it's not the diet that's causing the ADHD. The ADHD leads us to consume these refined, high sugar, high carb, refined foods because they treat our ADHD, our underlying dopamine deficiency, inability to regulate our impulse management that's ADHD, not the food. There's some suggestion that the bacteria in your gut can influence the food choices that you make, but it's not one direction. If your brain is looking for dopamine and you live in a country where cheap, refined, sugary, fatty food is cheap and freely available, you will quickly learn that this is a temporary mood fix. It gives you a little boost of dopamine and glucose. Your brain feels better. So you're going to go back for it. That's your brain, not the food. Okay, neurotypical people experience that too. But until you have been somebody with ADHD and experienced that overwhelming focus, that impulsivity, the compulsion almost, you're just not going to understand. And it's why many people, when they take ADHD medication, find that they are able to tune out or turn down the volume of those voices, that impulse control, that need for refined sugar. And the reason I find it particularly offensive is because so many young people with ADHD also have ARFID, 
which is avoidant restrictive food intake disorder. And yes, it's a negative label, but that's because it is. It makes life difficult for those young people, for their families. As they get older, people start to feel socially excluded because they do not have the same freedom around food as their friends might have. It's a real problem. It causes health problems, but it also causes social and mental problems. To, so to suggest that if you focus on this one diet, your ADHD will be cured feels really irresponsible. And if you're a parent of a child with ARFID, please, please, chicken nuggets do not cause ADHD. And if you force your child to push beyond what they can eat, if they can actually eat without gagging or throwing up, the damage that's going to do to the trust and connection that you two have isn't worth it. There are other ways to manage that and I will talk about them. I'll put them in the show notes. But please, this particular myth needs to be put aside. Yes, diet has an impact on your health and it can affect the significant level of ADHD traits, but it's not the direction that these people are talking about. The other myth is that modern diets and modern schooling create ADHD. And this is the idea, again, following on from chicken nuggets, that chicken nuggets and um, being made to sit still in school for seven or eight hours a day cause ADHD. And if we just fed kids kale chips and let them roam around on farms, they wouldn't have ADHD. No, they would still have ADHD. You just wouldn't be inconvenienced by it and you might not notice it, but they would still have trouble reaching their potential because when they did try to sit down and do some work, then they would struggle even more. Different types of school might suit them better. And there are types of school that, you know, allow a lot more autonomy, a lot more movement and things like that. But if your child is over the diagnostic threshold, there's going to come a point in their life where they need to do work that is going to be held back because of their ADHD, not their intelligence, not their capability, not their wisdom, if you like, not their talents or their strengths but their executive function limits, which are caused by ADHD, which is a neurological genetic condition. But why are these myths so stuck? Why can we not get rid of them? Put the media aside for a minute. The first is that humans love easy answers. If something is difficult, complicated, has lots of factors in it, we're going to go for something that is really quick and easy and provides a simple solution every time, even when it's wrong. But with ADHD, we are particularly fond of these things because our impulsive fixes really quickly onto a solution. And I don't know many people that would say, I would love to have ADHD. I don't know many people who regard their ADHD as 100% a positive experience. Generally, there are aspects of it that we would get rid of if we could. And so a simple solution, our impulsive brain is going to jump straight to it and think, yes, this is the one answer. This is the diet. This is the app. This is the program. This is the book. We love quick fix solutions because, well, they're easy. We don't need to do something every day. We don't need to spend time sitting with uncomfortable facts about ourselves. It is so important that we get real, factual, 
useful information about ADHD and that we take time to deal with the challenges that we have and the information is there. It's just maybe not broadcast on gigantic multinational podcasts. And the reason that I am so passionate about debunking myths is because the emotional fallout from another quick fix not working is what I see. It's, I'm a failure. I can't even do this. This didn't work. I'm broken. That narrative that is quite often in place before people look for coaching and which quite often means people actually need therapy or counselling is quite often the result of a myth that has been promoted and a quick fix solution that has gone wrong and it's just the last straw. So let's do a countdown of the top 10 myths about ADHD and I will give you the myths, I'll explain why it's not true and I will explain the reason it's there, the impact it's going to have. So let's begin with myth number one, ADHD is not a real condition. ADHD is in fact a real, well-recognised neurological difference in the brain and often genetics of about 5-10% to of people worldwide. And this is proved with decades of scientific research. The reason this one's so damaging is people like those counsellors in the beginning of the programme say, well, they're just badly behaved, they don't need any support and it makes us feel terrible about ourselves because we're not doing a good job. So that's myth number one, ADHD isn't a real condition. Myth number two, people with ADHD just need to try harder. In fact, it's the structure and function of your brain that means things like attention, impulsivity and self-regulation are affected by the structure of your brain, not a lack of effort. If anything, you are trying way harder than other people. And this puts a huge emotional burden on people with ADHD and their families and can increase our feelings of failure and low self-esteem. Myth number three, people with ADHD just can't focus. Actually, people with ADHD have lots of attention and we can really focus. We can actually experience hyper-focus when we focus on something for hours and often forget to drink, eat or go to the bathroom. And that's because we are interested. So ADHD is nothing to do with attention or inability to have attention. It's all about our focus and interest. And this is one of the reasons why people misunderstand ADHD medication. It doesn't increase our attention or our focus. It actually allows us to regulate it and gives people a feeling of calm. Myth number four, all kids with ADHD are hyperactive. There are in fact three, not seven, three presentations of ADHD, inattentive, combined and hyperactive. And those three presentations can change over the course of your lifestyle, can change over the course of your lifetime. The stereotype of the hyperactive ADHD little white boy is why many people of colour, many women and girls, many inattentive young boys and men are missed and not diagnosed until much later in life. Which brings us to myth number five, only boys have ADHD. ADHD actually affects boys and girls and we believe in adulthood the numbers are about equal. It's just that girls tend to be missed because they are socialised to behave in a different way and our expectations are different. There is some suggestion girls are more likely to experience inattentive ADHD, but this may be diagnostic prejudice. With this is that the emotional fallout for girls and women with ADHD can be unrecognised until they've had 
three or four other diagnoses and they are struggling with significant mental health problems. Myth number six, ADHD is a learning disability. ADHD is not the same as dyslexia, dysgraphia or other learning disabilities. They can occur at the same time in the same way as autism can occur with dyslexia, dysgraphia, other processing problems, but they are not the same condition. And this is one of the reasons why people who can achieve a lot, who are high performing but have ADHD are missed until they burn out and have other mental health problems. Myth number seven, if you have ADHD as a kid, you'll outgrow it. Don't worry about it. This used to be widespread until fairly recently, but we now know that for a significant number of people with ADHD in childhood, this continues into adulthood. And in fact, inattentive people who are missed in childhood experience more problems when they get older as the increasing demands of daily life impact their executive functions and they start to burn out and have mental health problems. And this is really unhelpful because if you expect to grow out of it and actually you don't, and you go to university or you have a family and you're really not coping, instead of saying, well, of course, I need to have a different structure in place. I need more support. I need to look at life differently. You're going to feel like a failure. So the emotional impact of that one is huge. Myth number eight, ADHD is a dietary issue and it's caused by food dyes and additives. We've all heard this one. The kid ate a really processed piece of cake with like red or blue food dye and now they're bouncing off the walls. Well, let's have a look at this. So first, not all kids with ADHD react to colorings. Some do, but that is not ADHD. That is a sensitivity to a food ingredient. And ADHD is a neurodevelopmental genetic condition, which may or may not be which may or may not occur at the same time as an allergy or sensitivity to a food additive. Again, it means we're missing kids who are not reacting to these food additives. And it can mean that some children are excluded from social occasions where that type of food may be present. Myth number nine, ADHD medications are harmful and overprescribed. There is a lot of online chat about everybody getting ADHD medication, how easy it is to get, how it's misused, how everybody feels better when they're taking it. Let's have a look. It's just not true. ADHD medication, when carefully monitored and safely prescribed, is one of the most evidenced and safe medications you can get. There are a number of people who do not respond well to stimulant medication, which is why it's important to have a good assessment and a thoroughly supportive process while you're titrating. And there are different kinds of medication that you can use. You don't have to take stimulants. One of the reasons I think this one is so popular is because it's suddenly being discussed in the same way as antidepressants were discussed in the 90s when SSRIs were first made popular. It's not that people weren't depressed before, it's just that they found a new way of treating it. With more or less success, which is another topic. And myth number 10, ADHD is the product of modern society, mobile phones, the internet. If we all went back to living in some mythical, bucolic, agrarian age where everybody got up when it was light and went to bed when it was dark and had horses and stuff, nobody would have ADHD. Actually... Historical records and research show that ADHD has always existed. 
some people have taken this so far and suggested it's a hunter adaptation and we would be people out on the plains looking for danger. Let's not deal with that today. But this idea that ADHD is only just happening is incorrect. And actually, one of the first people to record ADHD in a medical way was Sir Alexander Crichton, who was born in Edinburgh and in 1798 described what we can recognise as ADHD. So these myths are incredibly popular even today when we know that we have data that says, no, it's not true, or it's only slightly true in a tiny way. They're in the newspapers, they're on the internet, they're in books, they're everywhere. And why? I think a lot of it comes down to money and attention is currency now. So if you can grab attention by making a big claim, then you will get the attention that you want and the money might follow. So here's how we're going to inoculate you against misinformation and allow you to assess these ADHD myths when they crop up in a new version, because they will. Here are five questions that allow you to decide if you trust this information about ADHD or not. Number one, who is the source of the information? Is it a reputable organisation? Is it a scientist who's been specifically in the field of ADHD research for a long time? Or is it a medical institution, and ideally one that isn't selling you a solution? Number two, does this new solution or news cite an article in full? Does it give you the does it give you the source so you can go and read it yourself? And is it from a reputable medical journal that has been peer reviewed? So you want to look for reputable journals where people are saying this has been reviewed rather than somebody taking one fact and ignoring the rest of the evidence. Number three, is this a quick fix solution or are they talking about long-term change? Be wary of any solution that offers an immediate fix, whether that's for ADHD or anything else. Managing ADHD is generally a lifestyle issue and it is a long-term process. We make small changes and we do it in a way that is sustainable. Number four, are there financial interests involved? Now, I'm an ADHD coach and people do pay me for my time and my experience, but is this information in a podcast, in a program, in an email being given to you by somebody who's going to sell you a supplement, a book, or some other form of financial incentive only they can offer you the solution for? And are they the only people that can offer you this solution? There are hundreds of ADHD coaches you can go to. I do not benefit from this podcast in that way. But if somebody's selling you a supplement and they have the secret, they have the cure, that's a pretty good clue that this is not motivated by, this is not a reliable piece of information. And finally, does this line up with the current medical understanding of ADHD? And by that, I mean the big guys, you know, people like Dr. Barclay, people who understand the genetics, the neurology, the, the bioscience of ADHD, who have been doing this long enough to understand that it's not one thing over another and that it's complicated. You generally find a lot of these myths and solutions come from people who are mavericks or outside of day-to-day -day science and that is also a big clue. Maybe they're onto something, but 
you use your judgment and assess that with all of this context. And although we all want a solution to the challenges of living with ADHD, which can be great, but can also really cause problems and difficulties that affect our whole life, we need to accept that these are going to be long-term management processes and not quick fix solutions. We need to have a realistic expectation of what is possible in a certain amount of time and we need to accept that this is going to require some effort, usually some choice on our part. Just remember, we are more likely with our impulsivity to attach onto some new piece of information, to find out all about it and quite often we're a bit more trusting than we should be. We often see the good things in people when really there isn't. What can you do with this impulsivity and how can you manage it when it comes to new information? Because I think it's useful also to apply it to any type of information that you come across and maybe go down a rabbit hole on. I know some people, when I talk to them, they've almost made themselves bored of ADHD because they've got so much information online. They've listened to the TikToks, the Instagrams, the podcasts, they've read the books and they still don't feel any better. So how do you manage that? Because that's an impulsive thing. So first of all, just accept that this is what our brains do. Acceptance, radical self-acceptance is key to making changes with ADHD. Accept. We want to know everything and that interest is fuel for our brains. It's great. It's one of the strengths that you will have in whatever you do in life. Your red and amber traffic lights in your brain are maybe a wee bit dodgy. So we need to reinforce uh, external ways to do that and external ways to pause before we consume more information. And if you discover that you've spent three hours today listening to ADHD podcasts and actually you're just feeling worse, take a pause. Please give yourself permission to step away from it for a while, to come back and to identify what you actually need. Yes, you may want to know more about the genetics of ADHD. You may want to understand your brain. Is it helping you or are you feeling worse? When you've got this new information, it might be worth talking it over with a friend, with a family member or in an online group or community. And I know that sometimes our family members get a little bit tired of the amount of information we are sharing. So that's when things like online groups can be really helpful or in-person communities if that's available for you locally. You might want to have a journal, a notebook, where you write down the new information. You might be somebody like me who keeps a kind of notion bullet journal type thing where everything that I learn goes in there and I have a reference. I have a notion sheet for the journal articles that I read and a summary so I can come back to it. And that way I can take my time and think about the information before I keep going and pursuing more and more and not doing anything with it. You might want to include the five questions that I gave you earlier about understanding information and I will make a little document template thing for you which you can get from the show notes so that you've got those five questions you can stick it in your owner's manual into your notion into your bullet journal whatever you use so whenever you get a new information whether that is this type of diet is going to cure ADHD you can run it through those five filters and assess whether you want to accept it or not 
And this is also going to be included in the Notion template, which I'm working on just now, that allows you to track your energy, your focus, your sleep, and so much more. Because I think it's one of the most flexible tools that we can build outwards with ADHD. Keep your eyes open for that. You might want to use some of your community. You might want to find a community that allows you to take a sense test of whether this is accurate or not. Because there's going to be somebody in the community who's heard it before and who will say, oh, yeah, well, actually, that's true. Or uh, kind of, they've maybe taken that the wrong way. And ideally, look for one where there's some moderation. People tend not to go into too many spirals and uh, negativity spirals. And look for something compassionate and warm and welcome. So I hope you've enjoyed my rundown of the main myths about ADHD and the way you can filter information so that you're able to assess whether it's reliable or not. Um, I think it's really important that you're in control of how you assess that and you're able to make judgments about the knowledge that you're relying on when you manage your life. If it was helpful, please share it with someone, especially if they've given you the ADHD is just bad behaviour or ADHD is chicken nuggets type of thing. If somebody's given you a mess, share this with them. Tell them to go look at the show notes. I've got facts to back up all of these things that I've just shared with you from reliable scientific journals. And remember to be kind and patient with yourself, to encourage your critical thinking, because we're kind of standing at the front of a tidal wave of information about ADHD and a tidal wave of misinformation and misunderstanding. It's hard work sometimes to be the person who says, well, actually, and if you don't do it every time, that's totally okay. Give yourself a hug. It's hard work. As long as you don't allow it to affect your own emotions and you are being kind to yourself and understanding why you do things your way or why your family do things their way, then there's an element of let other people manage it for you, okay? Because it can have a big toll on your uh, mental health and well-being. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to be sharing the toolkit that you can use for managing your emotions. And it's like a pick and mix. Do you remember the pick and mix in Woolworths where you go in and there'd be all these different kinds of sweets that you could pick? That's kind of what I'm going to bring in a couple of episodes for an emotional regulation, Lollapalooza, for ADHD people, okay? So please share this, leave a review, let me know what is the most outrageous myth that you have heard about ADHD and are any of these a surprise to you? Have any of these been given to you directly and have you argued back? I would love to know. Let me know and come back next week for the next episode of ADHD Powerful Possibilities. Until then, take care. 